0: Good morning, we are continuing the series that we have been in for several weeks now called Spending Someone Else's Money, so this is Spending Someone Else's Money Part 7, and we have already uh, covered who the someone else is, who is the someone else? God, yes, it's all God's money, we talked about that on the very first week of the series, that God owns everything. So in that sense, all of us, are whenever we spend money, whenever we do anything with money, we are spending someone else's money, right? It is his. Everything belongs to him. So we've talked about a lot of different topics related to money over these past seven weeks. Um, And today we're going to actually talk about spending, which it looks like that's what the whole series was going to be about. But we really, we talked about debt. We talked about savings. We've talked about giving to the poor, which is what happened on the rice bowl Sunday. Um, So we've talked about a lot of different things that you can do with money. But today we're going to actually talk about spending, Um, And I will let you know this, I do not recall ever hearing another pastor preach on the topic of spending in in my whole life, at least not a whole sermon. I've heard pastors talk about spending, but I've never ever heard another sermon, some pastor anywhere, do a sermon on the topic of spending. Um, And so I just, I guess I say that to let you know this topic is not covered very often in church. Um, And I think that's a shame because if you think about it, it's something we do all the time, right? Right? It's something we do with money. In fact, most of us do it every single day. So there's this thing we kind of have to do every day, and yet we come to church and no one ever tells us what the Bible says about that. It seems like if there's something we do with money every single day, there should be some kind of biblical instruction on the topic. Um, Because we do have to spend money, right? Like, it's not God's will that we would only give away money. Did you know that? Like, we did two weeks here on the giving away of money because it is very important to give money away. Um, but that's not the only thing. It's not like God's will is that everybody that gets money always gives 100% of it away. You knew that, right? The world wouldn't even work, right? If, you had, if, if some, some guy went and, and uh, you know, went to his job and he worked and then he got his paycheck and he cashed it and he's got his money, and then can you imagine if he said, well, what do I do with this? Well, I have to give it away, right? I can't spend it. That's not God's will. I got to give it away, so I'll give it to her. But then she gets it, and what she's going to do? She's going to go, well, it's not God's will to spend. We know that, right? It's God's will to give, so I'll give it to him. Right? But then he gets it, and what's he going to do? Well, I know I know Christians aren't supposed to spend. They're supposed to give, right? That's what God made things for, to give away. So then he gives it to her, and then she gives it to him. And if that's all you were supposed to do is give away money, then we would all just pass it around forever, right? So of course, of course God intended for his people to consume, to eat, to use, to spend some of his stuff. So I want to start off this morning by defining my terms, which is always a good thing to do at the beginning of a sermon. When I say I'm going to talk about spending this morning, I am using the word spend as a synonym for the word consume. Like I'm going to use those words interchangeably. By spend, I mean consume. Um, The topic I'm trying to cover is what do you do with the portion of your income that you use up? And the reason I'm defining the word spending as consume is because there are other ways that you can use the word spend, and it's not the thing I'm talking about. So let me give you an example of a way someone could use the word spend, and they're not talking about what I'm talking about today. Imagine someone comes up to you and they say, uh, my uncle spent a lot of money last week, right? And you go, oh, really? What did he buy? Oh, my uncle bought a pine tree farm. Oh, really? What did he do that for? He bought a pine tree farm because he got all these acres. There's all these small pine trees on it. And basically what you do is you wait like a long time. You wait like 30 years. And then the, palm tr- the, the, the pine trees all grow to like maturity. And you do things in the meantime, making sure you thin them out and they don't burn and stuff. But basically you tend them for 30 years. And then you cut them down and you sell them. And my uncle is going to make way more money when he sells all those pine trees than he did when he bought the pine tree farm, right? Have you heard of something like this? Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about when you buy something that grows or you buy something that multiplies or when you use your money to make money, okay? And then you're able to to buy something and then sell it for more money than you bought it for, right? You buy a pine tree farm and then you sell it for 10 times the amount later. No. That is called income. That's called working. That's called Investment. Okay, that's not the thing I'm talking about today. Today I want to talk about what is what I want to talk about when you buy something to use, and you use it in such a way that minutes later or months later, it is either gone or it has gone down in value. Are you following me? That's the thing I'm talking about. So I'll just illustrate it. Let's imagine I decide to buy a taco. Okay, there is a taco truck right here on baseline. And let's imagine I go to the taco truck and I buy a taco. So I take $4 out of my wallet. I give it to the lady behind the, you know, in the little taco truck and she gives me a taco, right? So I've traded $4 for a taco and then I eat it. Go, so what has just happened? That's consumption, that's spending. I no longer have the $4. I no longer have the taco, right? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That something you use in such a way that minutes later or months later it is either gone or it has gone down in value. And I guess you could argue in the case of the taco which one it is. I would say once you eat the taco, it's gone. But I realize there are some of you that are really literal people that you'd go, it's technically not gone, Mario. Okay, can we admit it has gone down in value significantly after you ate it? Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. And, I, and that's an easy example because that's literally consumption, eating something. But I'm even using that word to mean things you don't eat, like just anything that you use up. If you buy a tube of chapstick and you use it and then one day it's all gone, that's you consuming it even though you didn't eat it. If you put gas in your car, right, you traded money for gasoline, you put the gas in your car, then you burn the gas as you drove the car all around town, so you neither have the gas nor the money anymore, that's consumption, even though you didn't drink the gas, right, that's that you used it up, right, the same thing happens with Tylenol, and you know, just all sorts of things, it's not necessarily that you eat it, but it might be, but it's that you use it, and then it's gone, or it goes down in value, and it could be that it takes a long time, it could be that you still own it, like in the case of the taco, no one would say they still own it a few days later, right, in fact, you don't, it's definitely gone by then, um, But this would apply also to, when I say spending, this applies to jeans. This applies to cars, okay? Like when you buy a pair of jeans, it goes down in value over time. Nobody buys a pair of jeans and then wears it for five years, and then at the end of the five years, sells it for more than they bought it, right? Jeans are not an investment. They are something you use. They go down in value. It's a spending. Same thing for cars. Um, Cars, typically you do not buy a car and then use it for five years and then sell it for more than you bought it for, right? Right? Now, I realize we are in like a crazy economy right now with so much inflation, and there are a few people that have almost done that. But I'm just saying typically, typically car buying is not an investment. Typically you buy a car and then you turn around and you sell it years later for less than you bought it for, or even get to the point that it's worth nothing, and then you're done with it. So that's what I'm talking about when I say we're talking about spending or consumption today. That's the thing. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you four biblical principles for spending, four biblical principles for consumption. Um, There may be more than four, but these are the four that I've come up with that I want to use in order to tell you this is what I think, if we're trying to understand what does the Bible say about us spending, this is what I, I think this would be a very good start. Four biblical principles for spending. Number one, you spend to meet your own needs. One of the reasons that you have money and one of the reasons you spend money is to survive, right? You use money to buy food and clothes and shelter and medicine. One of the reasons that God has given you money is so that you can use it to meet your own needs. I hope that that's sort of obvious and a given, but just in case it's not, I'm going to show you a couple of Bible verses that assume this, okay? Let me first go to Matthew chapter 6. I, there's, I mean, I don't even know if there's a Bible verse that flat out says this, but you can just tell that this is assumed by the people who wrote the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, Or what will we drink, or what will we wear? So what is Jesus talking about? Clearly, he's talking about basic necessities here, right? What what, what are you going to eat? How are you going to survive? How are you going to have enough water to drink? How are you going to have enough clothing? He says, don't worry about that. For the idolaters, that's people who don't even know God, they eagerly seek all these things. They're worried about paying their bills. They're worried about surviving, right? And then look what he says. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So I think there's an assumption here that you don't need to worry about your stuff, but yes, when you get money, of course you're going to use some of your money for what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. God knows you need that. Here's another one that I think just assumes it. This one's even probably better. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is the Apostle Paul talking to this group of Christians in a town called Thessalonica, and they had a problem. You'll see the problem in the verse. He says, For we hear that some among you, so that would be some of the Christians that lived in this group of people, this church, we hear that some among you who, sorry, there are some among you who walk irresponsibly. Well, what were they doing that was so irresponsible? They were living an irresponsible life. What was it? It says, not working at all. We heard that some of you aren't working, right? Some of you walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. So what was happening in this particular group of peoples, there's this group of Christians, and some of them were lazy. Some of them were choosing not to work. For whatever reason, they were saying, I'm not going to work. And so they they were not earning anything. They were just not working. But you know what they were doing? They were eating, right? They were surviving. Well, how did they do it? Well, they had to go to someone who was working and go, could I have some? right? And so they were mooching. They were eating other people's food because they were not earning any of their own. It was becoming a problem, so Paul writes a letter and tells them to stop. And you can see the stop comes right here in verse 12. He says, now we command and exhort such people, which people? The people who are able to work and they're refusing not to. We command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working, they may eat their what? Their own food. So he's saying, this is, this is the command. Those of you who aren't working, I'm telling you, by the authority of Jesus Christ, get a job. And then when you get that job, I want you to earn, take some of the money and buy food and eat it. Like, like you, need to, you need to survive off it. That's, that's one of the things that's just assumed we're supposed to do with that, what God provides for us through our own labors. So that's principle number one. Four, principle, four biblical principles for spending. Number one, to meet your own needs. Number two, Spend to meet your family's needs. So number one was to meet your needs, and number two, can you put the, um, the points back up for me, please? There we go. To meet your family's needs. So God gives you things so that you would be able to survive, but not just so you would think of yourself just as an individual and just meet your own needs, but that God puts us in groups of people called families, and we're supposed to look out for each other as families. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 8, says this. But anyone who does not provide for his own, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So clearly your responsibility is not just for you to get enough stuff for you to survive, but you're supposed to look out for your relatives, right? If anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household. He has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. Now, I think that this is, this is not contradicting the whole you should work for your food. I think this is assuming these are people who are unable to work for their food and they need to be supported and helped. In fact, the, the, the larger context that this verse is found in is talking about widows. It's talking about take care of your grandma. She can't work anymore. Make sure she gets to eat. And I assume in principle it applies to things like children as well, not that children are things. You know what I meant. Okay, so you, provide for your, you meet your own needs and you meet your family's needs. So point number three, four biblical principles for spending. Fourth one is spend for a godly purpose. So you spend to meet your needs, you spend to meet your, own fami- your, your family's needs, and you spend for a godly purpose. Now, of the four points that I'm going to give you today, I think this one might be the least obvious as to what I mean by it. Okay, and so this one's going to require some explanation. Because I imagine if I say spend for a godly purpose, there may be some of you that go, oh, yeah, 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 I got that. I know what that means. I know what spend for a godly purposes." Mario, you don't need to explain that. Like, I, I, got, I have a friend who just became a Christian recently, and I bought her a Bible, and I gave it to her, right, and, and I was spending for a godly purpose. Isn't that right? And I would say to you, yes, yes, that is, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about occasional purchases. Imagine if I had said that you should try to do all of your spending for a godly purpose. At that point, you'd be like, what? That's a lot of Bibles, and what would I do? <laughs> like, what would I do with all the other stuff I got to buy, right? Right? Like if you, if you have a real narrow definition of spending for a godly purpose, and I really do believe this, I, I'm going to tell you this day, I believe you should do all of your purchases for a godly purpose. But I think if you don't have the right definition, you're going to immediately say, well, that's impossible. Every purchase is going to be this sacred, godly, Christian thing. That's not even possible. I'd have to be buying just Bibles and small group curriculum and nine and nine. I mean, what would I even eat that's like godly and Christian? I mean, I guess we'd have to eat a Chick-fil-A like a lot, right? I mean, isn't that the Christian way to eat fast food? I can't, I can't go, if, I mean, if the rule is spend money for a godly purpose, I can't just go to Zaxby's and eat their secular chicken, right? <laughs> so, I, I mean, obviously I'm exaggerating. I've never heard a Christian talk like that. But I do think that sometimes we do have a definition of words that they are they're too, like godly purchase. What we think of when we think of a godly purchase, it's too narrow. So I want to explain what I mean. In fact, And I know people think this because I remember having a conversation about it. When I was a youth pastor, like back in my 20s, there was this girl that came up to me after a youth group because she asked me a question about this. Her name was Anna. She was like 15 years old. And I taught a lesson to the youth that was similar to this one. And I think one of the points was something like, make all your purchases godly purchases, something like that. And she came up to me and she said, I'm going to have a really hard time with that. I, don't, I can't do that. Like I can't make all of my purchases be godly purchases. I wouldn't be able to buy any of the things I buy. And so I said to her, I said, well, what do you mean? Like, give me an example. And she said, shoes. Um, and and I, could see, I could see what was going on in her head. She's thinking shoes are not a particularly like Christian thing, right? Everybody wears, Christian, everybody wears shoes. That's not a sacred, holy thing. And so if that's what I think by for a godly purpose, well, then I can't buy shoes. They're not special. They're not Christian. They're not godly. They're not sacred. So she's like, I wouldn't be able to buy anything. And I said, no, of course you could buy shoes. And, and I said to her, this was like 15 years ago, so this is a paraphrase. But I said to her, "Um, you're a Christian, aren't you? She said, yes. And I said, and you have feet. And you use those feet to walk around, right? And you use them to walk around on varied terrain where you need coverings for the feet, right? If you're going to live for God and walk around and do the things that God's called you to do in your life, then you're going to need coverings on those feet so that you can go farther and faster and be safer, right? Yes. Well, then that is a godly purpose, right? That's you getting around the way you need to. And so I wanted to explain this to you. When I say for a godly purpose, I want to be clear. You don't have to Christianize every individual purchase. You just Christianize your life and then fund it. Does that make sense? You just live for Jesus all the time and you fund that life. That's what I mean here. And I don't think I made this up. I want to show it to you in the scripture. So let me show If you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't, it's going to come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This, this passage is going to look like it's on another topic, because it kind of is. But I think there's a principle within this passage that matches exactly what we're talking about. So what does it mean to, like, that we live for God and even consume and spend for God? So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 25. The apostle Paul is telling them how to live, and he says, Eat everything that is sold in the meat market. Let me pause right there. So we got the right Bible verse, don't we? Because we're talking about consumption and spending. So we got eat, there we go. So we're talking about consuming, eat everything that is sold in the meat market. So we're, I'm, spend, I'm trading money to get the food. So this is just like the taco illustration earlier, right? So I'm, I'm consuming and I'm spending. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market. Asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Now, why is he saying that? Why in the world would, would he say, go to the meat market, buy stuff, and don't ask questions, right? That doesn't seem, that seems weird, isn't it? And it is out of context. But if you understand what was going on historically at the time and what had been said just before this, you know this had to do with meat that had been offered to idols. That There was, there was a certain amount of meat available in the town that the, like, the, the people who were not Christians, the pagans, had. And the reason they had so much of it is they went to these temples where they worshipped gods, gods that are other than the true god, right? Zeus or Artemis or... Um, you know Hermes or whoever and so they, they make a sacrifice of an animal and then after the sacrifice is done there's a bunch of meat left over and now what do we do well the meat gets sold Paul's saying when you go to the market and you go to buy your meat do not go excuse me is that pagan meat because I'm, I'm a Christian I don't eat pagan meat like was that offered to an idol because I want Yahweh meat I don't want Zeus meat and so I need to know was this sacrifice to an idol Paul is saying don't even ask the question right ignorance is bliss just don't, don't say a word, just buy it, eat it, enjoy it, thank your God, the true God, for it, and don't even ask them where it came from. That's what he means by ask for, don't ask any questions for conscience sake. Don't even get into that. And he says, for, right, why are you asking no questions for conscience sake? Why are you just buying the meat and eating it? He said, for the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. It is Yahweh's meat. It is Jesus' meat. Whatever meat you bought, it belongs, it's him. Why? Because he owns everything, God is the creator of everything. All the meat in the whole world is his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So yes, you're buying God's meat. So don't ask if it was, if it was offered to an idol. So that's the first point. Then he, the next verse, he says a very similar thing, but he applies it to a different situation. Verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you over, so this person that's not a Christian, but they say, hey, come over to my house and eat. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, Eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. It's the same principle, but now it's at a friend's house instead of at the meat market. When you get to the friend's house and he puts a steak in front of you and says, I'm so glad you came to my house. Thank you for being here. Do not go, is this pagan meat? Like, don't ask. Don't say, don't. You say, thank you. And you thank Jesus for it and you eat the meat. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Eat everything that's set before you without asking questions of conscience. It's the same thing as in the meat market. But... Look at the next verse, 28. But if someone says to you, this food is offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience sake. So now you've got a slightly different situation. At first you didn't know at the meat market, so you just ate it. The other one you're at your friend's house, you didn't know, so you just ate it. But now you're at a situation where somebody said, this meat's been offered to an idol. Maybe it's one of the non-Christians that are there. And maybe they're saying, like, hey, we're eating this meat in honor of Hermes. Will you, you know, will you worship him with us by eating this meat? At which point you have to go, oh, well, no, I can't. I'm not allowed to do that because I worship a different God. Or maybe it's a Christian that's there with you. Maybe there's a Christian who didn't read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he's sitting there and he goes, is this pagan meat? Right? And then the person that invited you both says, no, yeah, it was offered to an idol. And now you're sitting there going, dang it. You know, I had to talk, didn't you? Like, we, we could have eaten it. Now we can't eat it. Right? So, I do not mean... You, now. Okay, notice, so he says, the reason you're not eating it, because you don't want to be perceived as someone who is participating in idolatry. That's the whole point. Now that someone said it out loud, you can't eat it. So, you are to, you are to do it out of... You're not to eat it, out of consideration for the one who told you, and for conscience sake. Notice he says, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. Right. You were fine. It wasn't your cut. Co- you you're the one that's going to the meat market and eating it without asking questions. You were the one that was keeping your mouth shut and enjoying it, right? But the other person brought the information forward. And so now for their sake, you're gonna go, okay, fine, I won't participate in it. The other person's, for why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Just because because they're, they're concerned about it doesn't mean I need to be. If that person wasn't there, I could have eaten whatever I wanted. But since they're there, I'm not gonna do the thing that looks like idolatry, right? Next verse, um, if I partake with thanks, now who's he thanking at this point? He just ate, he was eating meat and he's, he's thanking who? God, okay, yes, I don't usually ask hard questions, it's God. <laughs> if, I part, if I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? Now we're going to come back to that because that's important. It seems like there's something about him thanking God for the meat that makes it special, But then verse 31, and this is the verse I want to read to you. In fact, all of the verses that I just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 were basically just so I could read this verse in context, okay? I just didn't want to take the verse out of context. So all of that was just to get you prepared for this. So then Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory when you're going to the meat market and picking out your stuff, when you're going to your friend's house who's not a Christian, when you're sitting there with your friend that is a Christian at the friend's house, and they're going, oh, we can't do this, all that stuff. He's saying, whether you eat or drink, whatever you're consuming, whatever you're doing, whatever you're using, however you're living, okay. whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. You are to live for him. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says to give God your whole life. It doesn't that's a paraphrase. It actually says offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. But I think that's a poetic way of saying give God you all of you. And so my point is is once you give God you, once you give him your whole life, all of your actions, all of your moments, all of your days, you then can just spend money To live that life that you're living for him. You don't have to do every single little thing. I got to make sure this looks like a Christian thing. I got to make sure this is labeled Christian. Like if you're someone and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you go, I need coasters for the coffee table, but I just can't get regular coasters. I'm a Christian. All right. I'm going to have to go to Hobby Lobby and I'm going to have to get coasters that have crosses on them so that everyone that visits my house knows I'm a Christian, right? We need crosses on. No, you don't. Regular coasters are fine, right? (laughs) Uh, I need coffee. I got to go buy a mug. Can I just go buy a regular, a secular mug, a pagan mug? No, I got to get a mug with a Bible verse on it, right? No, you don't. You don't. A mug with no Bible verses on it will transfer fluid into your body so that you can live for Jesus. Did you know that? So hear me. Better to live for God in a house full of plain mugs than live for yourself and a house full of Bible mugs. Amen? Amen? So, it is not about Christianizing every purchase. I want you to hear me. It is about Christianizing you, and then you funding the life that you live. And by the way, the beginning of Christianizing you is not you trying really, really hard to behave. The beginning of Christianizing you is trusting in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, and receiving His forgiveness for your sins into your life and receiving His Spirit for your daily living. All right, point number four. To enjoy it with thanksgiving. So you you spend to meet your own needs. You spend to meet your family's needs. You spend for a godly purpose, and you spend to enjoy it with thanksgiving. Now, we already kind of touched on this when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So let's go back to that verse. Remember how he was talking about the meat that's set before you? And he says, if I partake with what? With thanks. Why am I slandered? Because of something I give thanks for. He's saying there's something special about this thing that I thanked God for it when I consumed it. It seems that Paul thinks that thanking God for the meat that God provides you somehow sort of sanctifies the consumption experience. And he talked like that elsewhere also. There's something similar in 1 Timothy uh, like this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 3. I want to read it to you. Um, He says, I'll just read it. He said, They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. Now, this is right in the middle of a paragraph, but he's talking to Timothy about false teachers. That's who the they is. So he said, There's false teachers, and those false teachers are forbidding marriage, and they're demanding abstinence from foods. Now, this is interesting what he says. Now, what are foods for? Look at this. Foods that God created to be received with gratitude. God made the food so you'd eat it and go, thank you, that was fantastic. They were made to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. God wants people who actually know him and who actually understand how his world works, and he wants them to eat his foods and say, thank you. And then he goes on. For everything, this is the next verse, for everything created by God is good, and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer, there is something about thanking God for your stuff that makes it okay to enjoy what he's given you. And in fact, that's something that you see a little bit later on. So this is First Timothy. I'm just flipping one page. We're literally in the same book of the Bible, First Timothy, but now chapter 6, verse 17. And it says, instruct those who are rich in the present age. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, this is what I want you to tell the rich people, okay? Like, in your church, tell the rich people this. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Tell the rich people that. Make sure that they're not arrogant. Make sure they don't set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Now, we have already talked about that in this series, but we have not talked much about the next thing, that instead of placing your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, he says, but they're supposed to place their hope on God. Who, now this is interesting, richly provides us with all things to give away? No, to enjoy. He said, make sure the rich people know they're not arrogant. Make sure that they don't put their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Later on, he says, make sure they give some of it away to people who need it more than them. But in the middle, he says, and make sure they realize that some of that stuff they have, they're supposed to enjoy it because God gave it to them. For them to have fun and then say, thank you, God. So going back to point number four, in fact, looking at all four points, right? Meet your own needs, meet your family's needs for a godly purpose. But this is why when I say to enjoy it with thanksgiving, I didn't pick the words randomly. Like this is like from the Bible. We are to, to find joy in God and thank him for what he's given to us. And I want to read one more passage to you before we're done. I want to read you a passage from Deuteronomy because first of all, I think it's incredible. I think the principle in this passage very much matches what we're talking about. Um, and we haven't done anything from the Old Testament yet. So let's do Deuteronomy. I will warn you, though, if you grew up in a conservative Baptist household, this passage I'm about to read to you might blow your mind, and I'm just warning you now. Okay, I, I am fairly certain your preacher never preached on this passage, and I'm just letting you know. Okay, here we go. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. Each year, these are laws given to the Israelites. Each year, you are to set aside a tenth of, all, of your, all the produce grown in your fields. Now, at this point, you might be going, no, my preacher did preach on this. I know about tithing, right? That's what this is, tithing. I mean, yes, technically, a tenth. But you're going to see it's a little different than what you heard. Each year, you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. Now, look at the next verse. You are to eat, right, consume. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of Yahweh your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. So this is not a tithe that you give away. This is a tithe that you eat, you spend it, you consume it, right? 10% of all the stuff that you made that year in an agricultural economy. And you're supposed to do it at the place that God chooses to make his name dwell. So this seems to be talking about like a religious festival of some kind, right? And that's what the purpose is, Says so you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. I think the word fear here is similar to like the word worship, right? To revere him, to have great respect and reverence. God, we worship you. So he wants people to worship him in a particular place with 10% of the stuff they made that year. So they're literally like consuming and spending and worshiping God with it. Now, here we go. It gets, it gets a little crazier. Next verse. Verse 24. But if the distance is too great for you to carry it. In other words, let's imagine this is years ago. You don't have U-Hauls and all that. Okay? You just got to get to the place, whatever place. So let's imagine the city where the festival is is far away. And you got 10% of your stuff to transport there. 10% of your wine, 10% of your olive oil jars. You got the anim- 10% of like the, all the animals, I guess, that were born that year, whatever it was that, that was your income. Because right? in their day and age, there's going to be a lot of livestock. If you're going to go to this festival and you're going to eat meat, you've got to think about this. Back then, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers. So, how do you keep the meat fresh? Yeah, you have to bring it alive. That's how you keep it fresh, right? This, the, you, don't, you can't, oh, let's just put, no, the, the, that's how you keep it fresh. You keep, the, the goat is still alive. You take him to the festival and you kill him there and that's how you eat it. So he's saying, now what if it's the case that for some people, transporting all those animals and all that stuff is too much of a burden because the place is so far away and because they have so much stuff. This is what he says to do if the distance is too great for you to carry it since the place where yahweh your god chooses to put his name is too far away from you and since the lord your god has blessed you verse 25 then exchange it for money right in other words sell it sell 10% of your stuff and get the 10% of your stuff the income that year value in money exchange it for money and take the money in your hand because money is more portable right and go to the place the lord your god chooses Right? So now you're showing up to the party with money. And then what do you do when you get there? Verse 26. You may spend the money. Now, good, because this is what our topic's about, right? Spending. You may spend the money on anything you want. Cattle, sheep, wine, beer, or anything you desire. I'm telling you, if you grew up Baptist, at this point you're going... <clears throat> There's an Israelite law that says you can buy as much wine and beer as you desire? Mario, you added that in there. That is not even in the passage, right? Did you throw that in? I swear I did not add that in there. I swear that's really in your Bible. Go buy a Bible. Go buy any Bible. It's right there in Deuteronomy. I don't even like beer and wine that much. Like, I wouldn't have put this in there. You I didn't even know the word beer was in the Bible, Mario. What translation is this? Go find it in another translation. You'll see most of them say, strong drink there. And that doesn't fix your problem if you've got a problem with this verse. <laughs> but that makes it worse, doesn't it? Suddenly we like beer more when we strong drink. Okay, so is it true that God in his law said, I want you to have this religious festival and I want you to show up with the money, 10% of your money for that year. I want you to party. I want you to buy whatever meat you want and whatever alcohol you want, anything you desire. And this is what you're supposed to do. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. I want you to spend, I want you to consume, and I want you to do it with gratitude to me, I want you to worship me, I want you to go crazy worshiping me. So once we realize this, let's go back to our four points. Once we realize that God has given us money to meet our own needs, to meet our family needs, for us to use for a godly purpose, which is something we're supposed to do with all of our life, and we're supposed to enjoy it with thanksgiving, we can realize that, get this, even spending can be an act of worship even consuming can be an act of worship. Now, let me end with a word of caution. I'm sure there are a few of you are like, "Whew! so glad I just heard the word caution, because this sermon was really going off the rails for me. <laughs> Mario, Mario, can't this be taken too far? Goodness, gracious, Mario. Like, don't you feel a little irresponsible saying this? I mean, let's just say everything you've said so far is true, okay? Aren't you still worried about saying it out loud? Because this truth could be abused or perverted or taken too far. Aren't you worried about that? In fact, Mario, we already live in an overspending culture. We live in a culture that does too much of spend my money on me, spend my money on me, spend my money on me. In fact, you know who told me that we're living in an overspending culture? You, Mario. You said it last week in the sermon, didn't I, right? In fact, the past two weeks, Mario, you have implied that we live in an overspending culture. So why would you say to a group of people who already struggle with spending too much of their money on themselves, that you would say this, can't this be taken too far? First of all, you need to know You need to know this. You need to know everything in the Bible. And, and I guess I'll say this. If you say, are you worried that this truth, because a lot of us that are overspending, we are not doing it to the glory of God. We're not spending the glory of God. We're not spending for a godly purpose. We're not spending with gratitude. But if you were to say, couldn't this truth be abused or perverted or taken too far? My response to you is this. Of course, of course this can be taken too far. Of course this can be abused and perverted, and I don't want you to do that. I think it's terrible when that happens, and I don't want anybody in this room to do that. But all of God's gifts can be treated that way. All of God's gifts can be taken too far. All of God's gifts can be abused and misused and perverted. Yes, food and alcohol and money can be taken too far. But that's also true of sex and rest and work and parenting. There are so many good things that God gives us. And yes, people ruin them, but that doesn't mean we go, then I reject it because some people abuse it. I reject this because I'm tempted to abuse it. No, think about it. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has given to humanity. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Do some people take it too far and pervert it and abuse it? Oh, certainly. Rest is a wonderful gift that God has given to humanity. Some people rest 22 hours a day. That's lazy, right? Work is a gift that God has given to humanity. Like meaningful labor in this world is a gift that God has given to humanity. And some people become workaholics, neglecting very valuable things because they're so concerned about their work and their status and, and their achievements. Parenting is a gift. Children are a gift. The book of Psalms says children are a gift from God. And then you have some people who, like, worship their children and replace the God with their children. And then you have some people who abuse their children. But that doesn't change the fact that children are a gift. So I guess what I'm saying is, total abstinence cannot be our response to God's gifts. I mean, just try that with rest and food. You'll die trying. Our response to the abuses of God's gifts cannot be to simply reject them, but rather to figure out how to use them in the proper way. And in my opinion, when you look at these, I hope you understood this, and I hope you understood it even in the order that I put it in, because in my opinion, um, point number three tempers point number four. Right, you, you can't just jump straight to point number four. You can't just go. I'll just pick whichever ones I want. Right. So so what do I what do I need to do with spending? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll spend whatever I want, and I'll just make sure I enjoy it with Thanksgiving. Right. I'll just jump straight to point four. You could do that, couldn't you? Right. And someone go. Oh yeah. What am I going to do tonight? Ah, I got an idea. Pastor said to enjoy it with Thanksgiving. I'm going to go buy ten bottles of wine, and tonight I'm going to enjoy it, and I'll thank God if I remember to do that at the very end. No. You enjoying 10 bottles of wine tonight is, was, was already taken off the menu when you got to point three. because drunkenness is not God's will. And so you're supposed to live according to God's word and you're supposed to follow his spirit. So to sum up, really to sum up the last five weeks of sermons here at this church, let's, let me say it this way. We should give money away to honor God. We should save money for the future to honor God. We should avoid debt to honor God. And we should spend money to honor God because we should do everything to honor God. Why? Because if we truly belong to God, then that means at some point he saved us. Through Jesus, he saved us from sin, and from judgment, and from hell, and from ourselves. And our response to his salvation should be that everything we do, we do for him. And so I am so glad we covered this topic today, a topic that is not often covered in church, because I would love for us as Christians to stop thinking, I need to honor God with 10% of my stuff. And I hope we will start thinking I need to honor God with 100% of my stuff. Let's pray. God, it is a privilege for me to be able to teach your word, and I just thank you for it, and I'm sorry that I don't thank you enough. And in fact, on behalf of this congregation and anybody who's in this room that happens to be in the same category as me, I apologize to you. We apologize to you for not thanking you enough for a lot of things. What a good reminder this was today. We drive around in cars and we live in houses and we have AC and we have hot water heaters and we eat delicious food and we often forget to consume it with gratitude. And so I pray you'd help us to be people who are much more thankful and much more willing and ready to credit you with the good that you've done in our life. I pray you'd help us to be people who, who live godly lives so we're not having to figure out, well, is, this, is the cross big enough on this thing for me to buy it and make sure everyone thinks I'm a Christian? I pray you'd help us to just be people who live our lives for you. We just buy whatever we need as we're living our life for you. I just pray you'd help us to be those people, please. Thank you for giving us enough to meet our own needs. I mean, probably most everyone in this room has more than they need to meet their own needs and the needs of their household. And we thank you for that, because we know there are tons of people in this world. They're just barely getting by. So thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the gospel. I pray that if there's anybody here who does not know you yet, that they would come to know you. That they would go, wow, there is a God who who cares about our life and blesses us and gives us gifts. (laughs) And then after we abuse His gifts, He'll forgive us and allow us to repent and come back to Him. I just pray there would be people who would come to know you today because they start to understand who you are and what you're like. And if not today, very soon. And for those of us who already know you, I pray this would be such a good reminder and you'd help us get us back on track. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.